0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What is up on a Wednesday evening? I'm Brian Scott Rippy, Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. Got a terrific guest for you today. It is Ole Miss legend, the whiskey meat man himself, Sykes Orvis. Had him on to chop it up about his Ole Miss career. That first team that went to Omaha, what it was like watching as an alum as Ole Miss won a national title last year and some really awesome stories uh, in between. Sykes is a really, really super nice guy and I really appreciate him doing this, but I uh, really enjoyed reminiscing on uh, his career at Ole Miss and which came at one of the most important times in the history of Ole Miss baseball so it's a great conversation i think you'll enjoy it a little disclaimer towards the end of the podcast as sykes i thought was telling two of his better stories um the my the intro to the podcast just started playing on my laptop on two different occasions was it the russians attacking my uh laptop who knows could have been anyone but i was i frantically tried to turn them off um as sykes is telling the story i don't know if it shows up on the audio it's hard to tell But if it does, that's on me. Uh, I don't think it really affects or ruins anything. But just wanted to give you a heads up. If you're driving in the car and all of a sudden, 50 minutes of this podcast, my intro starts playing. It stops. And then about 90 seconds later, starts playing again. Who knows? I could be getting hacked. Crazy times we live in. But anyway, that disclaimer aside, it's a terrific podcast. You really enjoy Sykes. He's really just the people's champion. So... Before we get to that, though, I wanted to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're not using Skybox, you're missing out. They're absolutely crushing it. In college basketball. You already missed out on the NFL season, which they profited again. Don't do that next year. Just take it from me. You're going to want to go sign up with Skybox. Week two of their college basketball picks in 2023 went up 50 units for a 65 and 43 record. I would say pretty solid. And even their free plays that they give out for free on social media, that'd be Twitter at Skybox Sports Picks, 8 and 2. How about that? $100 bet- betters year to date as of the third week in January. I need to update these. They're up 5,620 bucks and it's only gone up. From there, all you have to do is go online, find a picks package that fits your price-ranging you tribe for a day, a week, a month, whatever you want to do. I recommend just going with the year-long all-access pass, and then, boom, type in the promo code RIPPY. That'll get you 20% off any purchase, and you are now better equipped to profit than you were before. You'll get your picks emailed to you daily in a nice little color-coded spreadsheet organized by unit, and you are more equipped to profit than you were before. Stop paying the bookie. Have him pay you. Skybox is the only way to do that. Check it out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue. There, in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Right subscriber, that's RippyRight at You get a free newsletter from me, in addition to discounted meats. Right now, the deal for LB's Rippy Right subscribers is three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for twenty bucks. That's about a forty dollar valuation you're getting for twenty bucks. It's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling experience. Then go find all your own favorites. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. It is truly a crown jewel. Of Oxford they got all kinds of different cuts of meat I like the tri-tips all kinds of delicious sausages filet burgers seafood you need to go check them out for yourself LB's University Avenue there in Oxford all right here is the legend himself Sykes Orvis all right we now welcome on Ole Miss legend the man himself Sykes whiskey meat Orvis how you doing my man
0: I'm doing good, brother, doing good. Just hanging up here in Memphis, uh, enjoying the sunshine for once after this uh, little ice storm we had last week.
1: Yeah, the weather's quite uh, up and down these days. It's hot here, felt like spring golf weather, and then I think it's going to uh, get cold again. Just uh, kind of bipolar, as is usual. As baseball season kind of gets rolling, I couldn't think of anyone else better to have on. I figured we'd kind of chop it up about your career a little bit. Obviously, you're your vantage point from them winning the whole thing this year. You're like, what? Seven, eight, I don't mean to date you here. If you're seven years removed from college baseball, now, what's the arm like? Could you get out there and give a weekend series worth of effort these days?
0: Uh, I got maybe one at bat in me, but if I had hit anything where I got a run, it's going to get ugly. It's going to get ugly quick, even more so than what it was before. But, uh, no, nah, I think uh, my last year at Ole Miss was in 15. So, yeah, it's starting to get up there. It's going on. Next year will be 10 years since that 2014 run. So, yeah, we were kind of talking about that. At a uh, Jacob Wagesback, he got married earlier this uh, back in January. We we're all kind of hanging out talking about that. And we we're like, golly, we're getting old <laughs> now." It's about 10 years.
1: <laughs> it's unbelievable. I'm not that far behind you. I graduated old Miss in 17. I have two younger brothers and like the last one's in his senior year of college. And I started like counting the math on my finger the there. And I was like, holy shit, I'm old. Like, this is brutal. Yeah. I've been out of college like longer than I was in college at that point. That's never a great feeling. You're just like, all right. Well, I'm a has-been. So that's nice.
0: Uh, it's like every time people ask about guys on the team, and I'm like, you think I know them? I was like, <laughs> I got nothing to talk about. They're like, Half those kids were like born after like 2000. I got nothing to talk to them about. Yeah, I mean, I like, I'm just the old man.
1: Totally literally, different generation, literally. man.
0: Yeah, literally. So, yeah, no, half the time that I see him at the bar or something like that, they like, I'm intimidated by him. I'm like, oh, God, the young, co- young
1: college athletes. So I was like, they might come over here and shake me down for my lunch money or something like that. The uh so I was trying to figure out where to start. I guess the beginning because I was in college. I was a sophomore for you guys' Omaha run. I hadn't really started doing like the sports stuff yet. So I was just kind of your average Joe who probably got too drunk in right field like the rest <laughs> of everyone else out there. You came to Ole Miss out of Florida. Mm-hmm. Bianco's like notorious for recruiting Florida. And I'm just curious, as a kid out of Orlando, obviously you're in tune with college baseball. You're being recruited pretty heavily. You know all of the programs, but like what makes Bianco's pitch so compelling to kids, particularly like in central Florida, to come up to this town of Mississippi and try this thing out.
0: Yeah, that's kind of uh the my class and the class ahead of me. So guys like Will Anderson, Will. Austin Anderson, Will Allen, and then another guy, Casey Moulin. We all played on the same travel team, and they were a year ahead of me and Austin Bosfield. They all committed, talk, kept talking about how great Oxford was. Me and Boss kept getting recruited and up going up their own visits. And between just the overall Oxford itself coming there on a visit and all that, but Bianco, being a Florida guy, being from the the, the West Coast over there in Tampa, kind of knows how to talk shop. Everybody in Florida kind of knows where it's such a hotbed where he needs to kind of get in there and get a pipeline going and – between that, between him and Carl Lafferty, who just does a great job recruiting the area, he has a bunch of connections. And between those two and then just Oxford and Swayze itself, I mean, it's kind of an easy selling point. I did a bunch of different recruiting trips, camps, and all that. I was just so happened to be, like you said, I was from Orlando. We were up in Memphis actually playing in a spring break tournament my junior year. Got done, drove down to Oxford, watched them play Tennessee, did the whole spiel, met with Bianco. They offered me, and I committed the next day. And it, I was just kind of the hook, line, and sinker you kind of drive up past Swayze on old Taylor when it's down there in that hole and it's hard not to fall in love with it on first sight.
1: There are a lot of different personalities as sec head coaches. Like I don't think Tony Vitello and uh, say like Dave Van Horn, me, uh, <laughs> you know, enjoy a bunch of beers, uh, you know, sitting yeah. at a bar together, different personalities. Mike is certainly a unique personality himself. Um, Very hardcore baseball guy. I mean, you can tell even just I always said you can tell like by the way he walks. I was like, yeah, that guy was a catcher and just like a baseball player through and through. The first time you met him, what do you remember about him? Uh, just the uh, the tallest, biggest
0: 5'10 guy. You can ever remember <laughs> 5'10 being generous. <laughs> Uh, you got the most intimidating guy you can ever meet. I mean, he kind of, uh, he's a very straight shooter. I know a lot of guys I played with through my tenure there, it kind of could rub him the wrong way. But I kind of, the older I got and went farther throughout my career in baseball, I kind of just really appreciated him with that. Like he, he's a straight shooter. He's going to tell, tell you what he expects out of you, what he needs out of you. And if you're not delivering, he's going to let you know. So he could be your best friend and be your hardest critic. But he, at the end of the day, he, it seems like it's tough love, but he—it's getting down to the business and what he's trying to squeeze out of 18- to 22-year-old kids and the pressure that comes with playing. It's Ole Miss and the SEC at a national program. He, he just he knows how to push the right buttons, pull the right levers, and just kind of keep guys bought in and keep, keep, keep pulling the rope or whatever phrase he likes to use. And this past year is kind of the perfect example of that.
1: Where else did you consider going to school? I know you mentioned once you got to Ole Miss, you committed the next day. Were you ever seriously considering anywhere else? Did anything come close? This is
0: probably one of my favorite, like, my buddies, guys who I played with at Ole Miss. It's funny. The two schools that I – I got recruited by, like, um, most of those big Florida schools down there, like, um, UF, Florida State, LSU, North Carolina, and all that. But it came down to Ole Miss and Miami for me, <laughs> which is probably the two – Most polar opposites of programs and spots in the country that you could have gone to. But going up there and meeting with Mike Morris in his office and he gives you that whole spiel and he's got all the All-Americans you can imagine on his back wall and national championships. And it's just, it's, that's pretty intimidating, but I don't know, just credit to uh, Swayze and Oxford. I mean, I mean, going down to Miami one on their visit was kind of, wasn't thrown away, wasn't thrilled or anything like that. And then went to Oxford and like I said, it was kind of one of those things where it was just, hook, line, and sink on the facility of the town and walking. Out. i told people the story. Me and my little brother, we were walking into the stadium and we were behind a group of girls and they were wearing sundresses and cowboy boots. And then right there, me and my brother looked at me, he goes, hey, you should take uh, pretty serious about that. And then that's probably the best recruiting pitch that Ole Miss has in their back pocket.
1: I know everybody listens, glad you chose Ole Miss, but uh South Beach Sykes could have been a real problem. That could have been a real one man. <laughs> uh, yeah, instead of a mustache we just had a nice
0: like lined up beard and a big old gold chain and all yeah. that. It would have been Yeah, it's uh Miami Dade Sykes would have been an issue. Like,
1: is this guy a college baseball player or is he waiting on a shipment to come in from the Exactly <laughs> So yeah. you get to Ole Miss, you you uh, contribute immediately, right? You, I think you made eight starts your freshman year. I was looking at kind of your player profile earlier, and you were certainly contributing. And I, th- I think there's a couple of different types of freshmen. There's guys that, you know, come in, and I think they have a plan for immediately, particularly like with pitchers. They might not be quite ready yet, but you know they're going to be in the mix in the future. Then there's position players that kind of get in the mix, and then there's some guys that don't really play at all, and it's like are you going to get processed out the next year? How does that work? After that freshman year, you knew you would probably kind of have a future in the program you were going to contribute. But did you imagine at the time it would turn into what it turned into?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, that was the ultimate plan. I guess the idea I uh, so my freshman year was 2012. And I actually let people know this: I came in Ole Miss as a catcher. So showed up, same, a year behind Will Allen. Um, Stuart Turner would come in the next year. I, I was never going to catch there. So yeah. majority of my freshman year, I was just a bullpen catcher and basically had the like the opportunity to run back and forth between the bullpen and the dugout late innings, try to go do pinch hitting and all that. But after that, Matt Snyder, who was a senior first baseman my freshman year, he left. And I remember my exit meeting with B after my freshman year, he was telling me going into summer ball, you're gonna be the middle of the line of left-handed power hitter. You're replacing Matt uh, Matt Snyder. He's like, I've had a big physical power hitter in my lineup since the day I stepped foot here. Like that's gonna be your role next year. Da da da. Like figure it out. Go on to my sophomore year. Have a horrible year. Um, I started a majority of the year. Did kind of got up and down, but just wasn't doing what I needed to do. What B wanted me to do, and just wasn't an overall successful season. <laughs> and I'll uh. I'll never forget. We're doing our end of the year exit meetings, and we're sitting down there. And he—I oh, knew it wasn't going to be a good one. And he sits there and he looks at me. He's like, oh, he's like "I gave you the keys to the Lamborghini, <laughs> and you wrecked it." <laughs> I was just like, "Oh!" <laughs> I was like a 19-year-old kid. I was like, "Oh!" Just shot to the heart and went to summer ball. And actually, I went. Uh, was supposed to go play in a different league. Got kicked out. And got basically cut from that team. Sent to some other league was playing behind a D three kid, just was like my rock bottom for baseball and kinda of came in there my junior year that fourteen year and kinda of reinvented myself and kind of uh got back to what I wanted to do, what B wanted me to do and from there on kinda of had found success and just hit the ground running.
1: You mentioned Mike being a straight shooter. Um, as a reporter throughout the years, I'd say Mike and I had an up-and-down deal. L- still love the guy. it's a great dude mm-hmm. to be around. But as you mentioned, straight shooter, he will tell you exactly what he's thinking. I'm trying to picture him saying that he gave you the keys to a Lamborghini and you wrecked it. You're sitting there 19 years old. You're probably in that room like, I don't even know how oh, to wow. react Drawing, to that. It like, almost puts you in a daze out. the yeah. way he says it.
0: Oh yeah. Like you're fighting back tears almost like he's like saying it and he's like, it's a long drawn out delivery. And you're just like, Oh God. And then, I mean, credit, like thankfully that was my last bad exit meeting after that. After that, every one was usually pretty good. Just don't get in trouble. Don't get fat and just keep doing what you're doing.
1: (laughs) He got mad at me one day and was like, I forget what even the disagreement was about, but he's like yelling at me and he's just giving it to me. And we're standing there like during practice on the third baseline And Colby Bortles is, like, shagging balls at third base. And, like, I'm – Distinctly remember kind of looking over at him. That's like six four muscle hamster dude looking at me like I don't envy you. And I'm like, yeah, well, I'm I'm not six four. Like I, I can't go back at this tall five ten fella. So thanks for that look. Mm-hmm. It was he's an intimidating fella. And one of the reasons I wanted to ask that about kind of the start of your career is back in the you know it's a whole different world in a lot of ways even than it was three years ago with the transfer portal and all this different stuff. Obviously football kind of takes the headlines for that. But it's, it's the same way in baseball. They had a couple transfers that they probably don't win the national title last year without, and it wasn't really a smooth road for them either. If, if the transfer portal had been a thing when you were around, like, do you ever wonder, like, would I have gone somewhere else? Would I have done something else? Nah,
0: that I mean, it's a funny question. I mean, yeah, like after that sophomore year, I kind of didn't know what it was. They kind of left my scholarship up in the air coming into it, and I was like, am I going to get any money coming back? So, no, luckily I kind of – Leaving Oxford, leaving Ole Miss was never really on the plate for me. It was kind of just uh, – I I guess probably my – I hate to say like generation is like date as that sounds. It's probably the last group of guys that like usually showed up and they just kind of wore yeah. it for the four years. You just wrote it out is what it is unless you kind of jumped out early and went to a JUCO or something like that. But for the most part, guys just stuck around or just quit. And I don't know. I really – I appreciate the transfer portal, what it does. kind of – it doesn't – if – doesn't leave guys screwed over in a bad situation if a coach dips out or something like that. But yeah, like you said, football definitely takes the cake in it, but yeah, seeing baseball guys kind of jump around and make all these claims for like NIL stuff. And I was just like, no, it doesn't work like that in baseball, buddy. (laughs) We're just, just be happy to be there.
1: Yeah, Mike had a line in his opening, uh, like his media day press conference the other day. It was like, contrary to popular belief, it's not free agency. I was like, buddy, you should tell Lane Kiffin that because I would think he yeah, might, might have a differing opinion. But you're right. It's not the same in baseball at all. They're totally different sports. And so you go into that junior year. And one of the things that I think is very interesting, and I've talked to Kessinger and Dillard and some of those guys on that 19 team about because they dealt with the same thing. And I think this 2022 team probably dealt with it to the nth degree was It was a big year for you personally, but that time around the program, Mike had built this program. They'd had all kinds of regular season success. They'd gotten to the cusp of getting to Omaha, you know, three times, right? I mean, it's the famous you win game one Mm -hmm. of the Super in 06, 07, and 09 and can't get through. I know you guys felt that to some degree that year. Just kind of what was that like for you personally? Because you knew you needed a big year yourself, as you just outlined but also collectively that had to kind of there had to be at least a small sense of that in the clubhouse most days.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, there was definitely we didn't run from the bad media or the stuff that was said about us. I mean, a lot of the returning guys on that team didn't have good years before. I mean, that 2013 year, we got ranked up to like number four in the country. We were like sixteen basically identical to this past year. Except yeah. we never figured it out. <laughs> we turned it on. <laughs> Both same story. Both very super talented. bunch of really good rosters. Started out hot. Wheels fell off during SEC play. Luckily, they were mm-hmm. able to hold it together. But yeah, I mean, we were coming into it, and I remember, um, what was it? Oh, oh, Red Cup Rebellion. They put they did some article where they just basically went through like see like beginning of the season predictions, all this stuff. Like, is said how the offense was dependent on me and Will after coming like horrible years? So don't bet your bottom dollar on us producing anything. They figured. We were going to barely make it in the SEC tournament. B was going to get fired. We didn't hide from it. And like I said, a lot of guys are coming off bad years the years before. And it just kind of had that fucking mentality where we had nothing really to lose. We had a good mix of older returning guys who knew what needed to be done, kind of the the standard needed to be set. And then we had a really, really good group of young guys coming in with like JB, Colby, Errol, Wyatt, Henry Lartigue. So, they were good about catching on to what they needed to do, what to kind of hold their own, be a part of the program. And they jumped on. And from there on, I mean, that team was kind of similar to this past year where everything was kind of ran by the players. Everything was handled in-house. Everything was kind of behind doors. It didn't really need to be said. Everything was kind of, people knew they needed to do, just stick to it and do what you're supposed to do. Handle little things and everything else would kind of fall in place and yeah that 14 year we never really we didn't hit a skid like they did this past year we were kind of good all we had I think we only lost three weekends all year so we were kind of just rocking and rolling and then just confident once we got into uh uh all the playoff stuff just because we knew we really wanted we had to do a good run for B and for ourselves and just everything that the the shitty year that we went through before and the that was the first year Ben Fleming showed up too, and he just decided that we were going to be a CrossFit team that fall <laughs> and just put our dicks in the dirt every day he could. So <laughs> yeah, the sweat, equi- the sweat equity was put in, so we were ready to go.
1: Yeah, and th- I was going to ask you that because you guys like I th- I went through that schedule earlier today and I was like, did they get off to a bad start? I can't remember what happened that year, and y'all didn't really. Y'all got you lost two or three to South Carolina, and then you sweep, and then you got in a sp- double
0: header. In a double header, yeah, we we yeah, lost two out of three I- in a double header.
1: I remember that. Was there ever a point in that year, like, y'all didn't really bottom out like some of these other teams have to come back up or vice versa, but, like, was there ever a point in that year, like, was there a break-in point where I am like, oh, shit, this might not happen? No, never. We, uh
0: I knew we were, we were looking good after we were playing Missouri, it was after we lost to South Carolina, we were playing the next weekend at home, won that Friday night game, and then, like, the Saturday, we were getting ready to go stretch before batting practice, and I think. Back then, B had a big rule with no cell phones in the locker room, and somebody got caught with a phone in the locker room, and he oh, just Jesus. laid into us before the game. He was like, you guys think you're entitled? Do you think you can do this? Uh, you haven't done anything? And basically just ripping into us for, I guess, no good reason. I mean, he had a reason, but he just kind of went in a little heavy, and I remember we were running out there, and everybody was laughing about a joke, and we're like, we're, we're like, all right, whatever, we'll run rule these guys today, and then he'll be maybe we can have our phones the next day. and Then we just ended up rolling Missouri that whole weekend, swept them. And I think we got swept by Bama one weekend. Everybody was freaking out. And then we had probably one of our funner like Sunday fun days, kind of got everything back on the roll. And then just, I mean, whenever we lost, we bounced right back into it. That was the nice thing. I mean, I think we lost that series to LSU and then just kicked the shit out of Kentucky the next weekend. It was just whenever we lost, we were good at bouncing back. And that kind of went on throughout the whole year.
1: Y'all really had the perfect mix of older guys that had been around a while. You mentioned a lot of them coming th- off bad years. And then what you outlined earlier is I didn't even really think about it. There's been a lot of classes that have gotten a lot of pub in terms of Bianca's recruiting classes. That one that came in and joined y'all that year turned out to be pretty sick. I mean, from Errol DeLartigue and all those guys. I mean, it was pretty nice. So you had a bunch of balance of guys that probably kind of knew their role, older dudes versus young guys that are just along for the ride, but y'all had enough veteran presence there to kind of set the expectation of, like, what this shit's about to be?
0: Yes. That's kind of – that's basically what it was. I mean, we had guys – I mean, from position players to pitchers, we had a good mix of, like, older guys who were just – we also – at the time, we still had Cliff Godwin who just – if you – I mean, whatever the standard was, just add on, like, 10X that. Like, if you had to be there an hour before – like, before the game to do early hitting, be there two hours or four. And he just kind of set that standard. The older guys, that was our third year having them. We knew what it was. And freshmen were just terrified, as they always are, and just picked up where we were and just didn't want to be the last guy. So they did a great job. They were kind of mouths closed, eyes wide open, and they just fit right back in. Yeah, we got lucky. I told everybody that year, too, that when we went on that run. Henry and Brady Bramlett didn't play for us that year.
1: Which is insane to think about, given the mm, careers yeah. they had after that. I mean, it shows yeah. the depth at catcher and a lot of things. But y'all really were deep. I mean, even from guys all the way down to, like, Perzok pinch hit, obviously probably one of the more famous yeah. hits yep. in this history. That was one of the deeper teams ever. It was a lot of fun, too. You guys had so a lot of fun personalities on that team. And, you know, you played on four teams. And I know you like all of your teammates and all of that, but, like, they're, like, th- there's got to be some years that are different than others in terms of just team camaraderie. Like, have you ever played on a team like that where you had that many kind of personalities that were quite different but also gelled at the same time?
0: No, like, that Uh, that was, like, the weirdest bunch of, like, idiots ever. It was, like, a very mixed bag. So, <laughs> So you had, like, Chris – I mean, uh, you had Chris Ellis, who's, like, a Friday night starter, kind of mellow guy. And then you had Christian Trent, who was just, like, a functioning idiot that would just bounce off the walls four hours before the game, take his Adderall, just start bumping Boosie and Webby in the locker room for three hours straight, and then just come out and throw a gym. Then you had Sam Smith doing this. It just – it was kind of guys from all over the place, and they just – everybody mixed everybody had a lot of fun i mean i think we started that tradition of playing like tag before be meeting that year and that started yeah. with that guy's just dicking around running around playing grab ass chasing each other and i do remember people making the joke when we were going on that run through the playoffs about wanting to keep the party going like that's how much fun we were having with each other we want if we knew if we kept playing good kept winning we kept kept be got to stay as a team and kept it going so we
1: just we knew the better we played the longer we all got to be together and that's kind of what we were going for you mentioned earlier kind of you coming off the bad sophomore year at what point for you personally like throughout that year like was there a certain point where like okay i'm good like i got this shit things are gonna work out here was there a moment or did it just kind of gradually happen because uh, you had an insane probably, year that year and like I just you mentioned like how bad you felt going through that summer I'm just curious like juxtaposed to maybe how you felt fall that, that, that fall yeah that
0: fall kind of just reinvented myself I got in the cage and kind of who really helped me and kind of saved me that year was Stephen Head I mean okay. I tell everybody that I got so lucky coming into Ole Miss I had no idea who Stephen Head was Stephen Head was the GA my freshman year we were be talking about him and I was in the dugout after a couple other freshmen and one of our operations guy. And I was like, was Steven Head any good And the operations guy? Like jaw hit the ground. He was like, is Steven head good? He was, he was okay. like three times, three top." Time, we called him three times. That was his nickname on the team. No one called him coach head. It was all three time. And the fact that I got to have that guy for four years, teach me how basically how to hit play first base, do everything. He, that year he, we both went into it. He was like, you're going to have a good year. He's like, we're going to figure it out. And, that fall, just kind of switching things up, switched out my, my my mentality kind of. Early on, I was real big on the like, terrified of striking out, just wanted to always make contact. And B pulled me after an uh, inter-squad early that fall. And he was like, you know what people really like here? And he's like, you know what I love? And I was like, what's that? He's like, home runs. He's like, hit home runs. <laughs> and I was like, all right. And then from there on, he was just like, hit, ho- hit the ball in the student section, you just catch the ball at first base. If you do that for me, you play every day. And I was like, all right, I got it. And that fall kind of just took on that mentality of I was going to be the big physical power hitter in the lineup and uh, kind of just to made things a little more personal in the batter's box, kind of just wasn't going to give up, give away A, Bs. And I just kind of had to figure out an approach and just grow up as a baseball player overall. And I don't know, just a little, little change in the times, just had to grow up. And it all kind of luckily just kind of synced together and clicked on and off the field and just kind of found my groove.
1: As college baseball gets more popular, you guys are really right in the midst of this where ESPN starts their watch ESPN thing and you can now watch all of the games. I remember. Mean, I remember being a freshman in college and I was trying to figure out hey, how the hell do we watch this? I remember being at a, mm-hmm. a buddy's house off campus. One time and it was like, can we illegally stream this? Are we really going to have to pay 50 bucks to go watch them play UCF oh. or whatever it was now what- it's more accessible. And it's leading to more and more people that I know that don't even love, like didn't like college baseball going into it. And then they watch the regional and super regional weekend. They're like, this shit's kind of awesome. This is electric. Yeah. And so for you guys going into that postseason. Like how different is it? I know this is like an obvious question, but like how different is kind of the pressure and everything else when you get into postseason? When like, you know, baseball is a game that you have a lot of tomorrows. You can always go to the park the mm-hmm. next day that all of a sudden two losses and you're done. How different is postseason baseball and college baseball? Uh,
0: it's luckily it's very cliche. And so the SEC kind of prepares you for it. I mean, you play yeah. calls of the, the, the war of 30 games or whatever, where it's 30 battles and, I, I try to explain to people what it's like playing on a Friday night in the SEC. It's just it's a football game on a baseball field, it's the same kind of atmosphere, electricity, everybody's fired up and then once you get to Sunday, it's actually like a normal baseball game where everybody's kinda of a little sore and you're like, All right, we gotta figure this out and play the game. So all that kind of prepares you for the playoffs. But it's um it's one of those things. You know what it is, and you know the pressure and you know, especially like when you're playing hosting a regional at sways you when you got ten, twelve thousand people out there, you kinda of know what's going on. And, you kind of just try to keep it simple, go out there and do what you're supposed to do when, when at bats, when pitches. And if you go out there and do what you've been doing all year, you'll keep having the same success. If you try to, it's like, I remember my freshman year, we went into that, uh, that college station regional. We all got uh, Mohawks. We're like, Oh, that's going to make the Omaha Hawks. That's what's going to get us. Omaha. That crap. <laughs> that shit does not work. It's Keep doing what you've been doing all year. If it ain't broke, don't fix it and just stick to it and just do what you're supposed to. And Usually if you do that, you're going to have success.
1: Do you ever have a moment freshman year where you're like, holy shit, there's a lot of people here?
0: Yeah, Florida. We played UF my freshman year when they were number one, when they had like Mike Zanino. Uh, pre- they basically had a major league team out there. And that Friday night, Snyder Matt Snyder had a home run in the first inning. There was, if you go on YouTube, we type in like Ole Miss Beer Showers. It's usually like that's like the first one. And I think there was twelve thousand people there and he had that home run in that beer shower in the first inning. and I was like, Holy shit, there's a lot of people here. Like when the stadium's shaking and you're like, Oh, this is this is what they tell you on these recruiting trips what it's all about. And it is it, you can't beat it when Swayze starts rocking.
1: I remember that. Was that the year did Sinquez score a game winning run in that series? Is that I remember he that did. correctly? He did. No.
0: Sinquez hit the ball, Bobby Wall scored the game winning run. That's right. That's what it was. Man, <laughs> it was the most, yeah, most ass backwards. That's a good <laughs> trivia
1: <tribute> question. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. What a time. So, you guys go to Lafayette that year, mm-hmm. get down. I, I, one of the things I've always, I remember writing about this in 2019 where they were going to the whatever Fayetteville Super that year. And everyone talked about kind of the pressure and the postseason failures and all that. I remember being like, look, like, Greg Kessinger was, like, nine years old when 06 and 07 happened. Like, these guys don't yeah. – like, they don't remember that. For guys like you, like, you didn't grow up in Mississippi. You didn't grow up, like, like fans who's like, a diehard old Miss fan. How, did you guys feel that at all? Or was it just kind of like, nah, this is not really anything? Because we you guys weren't associated with, you know, kind of the past scar tissue.
0: Yeah, it, it's funny you say that. That's probably the first time I've been asked that. It was a weird – so – Ole Miss is a great job of doing recruiting out of state as well as in state. So that year I wanna say majority of the position players are out of state guys.
1: Right. They're not I mean, Mississippi kids. That's another thing. They're position. not
0: Mississippi kids. So like we're not really thinking about it. And like every the only people that are talking about it are like either fans or like a few guys from like Jackson or something like that. I've been grew up going to games and we didn't we didn't think much of it, but I I mean I'll never forget the amount of crying people after we finally punched that last ticket in the, the ULL region, super regional where we're going to Omaha, like the amount of people crying and saying like, I've waited X amount of super regionals and game. I was just like, good God, you've been counting. That's even waiting <laughs> that long. <laughs> so yeah, no, it, uh, I put it a little more into uh, reality of, I guess the, the, the level of which kind of like how important it was that
1: this, Ole Miss fans and Rebel Nation have kind of finally getting through that uh, that last little threshold. Ellis has an uncharacteristically weird start in that game one. It was kind of the opposite of how he'd been trending really that whole year, particularly going into that game. You guys lose the game one. What do you remember about that afterward?
0: Uh, I remember how like. <laughs> That's still to this day probably the craziest, like, atmosphere I've ever played, like, three baseball games. I mean, they had that little rinky-dink stadium where it was all, like, aluminum bleachers, and their fans were, like, banging shovels and stuff like that. on. The- and their fans were, like, trying to, like, peek their heads in, like, our dugout and scream at us. So, they uh, that first game, they kind of just got up on us and just their fans got into it. And after that, it was kind of – we knew if we could – Basically, we went to game three games. we were going to win. They had two really good starters, and after that, we could kind of get to them from there. And we lost that first one. And we were walking off the field, and it's a funny story. I've told it a couple times, but uh, I, I was behind. Uh, <laughs> I was I was coming by, and uh, Carl Lafferty the pitching coach, was like cracking up laughing. And was, like it, usually, they're not. The coaches are not laughing after you lose a game, especially a game one of a super regional. And he walked by and laughed was laughing. And I was like, what are you laughing at, man? And he's like, he's like our starting pitcher tomorrow. I was like, what? He goes, Trent just walked by and just tapped his shoulders and looked at me. And I was like, what? He goes, don't worry. Season's right here. I got it. He <laughs> just walked off by him. And that's just kind of that personality of Trent and that team. It was just like, all right, whatever. I guess uh, backs against the wall will make it interesting and just figure out a way. And then that game two, we kind of scrapped it out and got a couple big hits late. And then. Game three, kind of just the rest is history after that.
1: I'm so glad you went there because that's actually what I was going to ask next is that Trent story is so legendary. I heard it a couple years after it happened. I talked to you for a story I think I wrote on like Pernzok a couple years ago mm-hmm. about that hit. And like that's like so perfectly encapsulating a trend and really kind of the embodiment of that team a little bit, right? There's all that pressure and he's just walking by like, season's right here, I got this shit. Like that had to make you actually yeah. feel weirdly better after that. Word. It's like oh, i just right, we- not worried it was it
0: was one of those, like it's kind of like almost has been lucky in the past probably ten years I mean Trent, you had uh Nikhazy, now Elliot, I mean, you have that saturday left handed starter where it's just like all right, that's a win, we just gotta figure out for game three what we're gonna do, that's fine that's how we were that year when you I mean Trent went undefeated that whole year when you we were gonna win Saturday, we just offense just couldn't shit the bed, score a couple runs, play good defense, and he'll do the rest and it uh Yeah, he was just an anchor that whole year. I mean, between him, Trent, him, Chris Ellis, and Sam Smith, I mean, we had three really good starters, and we had a lot of faith and trust in them, and especially Trent. I mean, never a doubt when he's on
1: the mound. What made him so great? Because, like, he's almost just aloof to any sort of expectation or any sort of pressure. Like, you make it sound like the guy could be in Yankee Stadium, and he's like, wait, if we played here before, what's the deal with this? Like, why are there so many people here? Like, what makes him function in those moments so well?
0: Uh, the beauty of it—keeping it, keep it simple. He knew he was good at. It. He knew uh, how to do, attack the zone and attack certain hitters, and B had a good approach to um, kind of how to go at him. And he dressed his stuff and just filled it up. He threw strikes and was around the zone. And we knew when Trent was pitching, he was usually going to get a lot of action in the field. He threw a lot of strikes, and we played good defense about or behind him. And it was quick games. We loved it. He loved it, and he just he kind of figured out what he needed to do to have success and just hammered it
1: when Perzak hits that he's up to bat you guys are like clinging to a one-run lead that had been kind of a crazy game you had to play at the plate I think like a half inning or maybe an inning and a half before you guys are right there on the cuss but to say that it was a uh you had a ton of margin for error at that point would probably uh be putting it mildly in terms of just absolutely no margin for error what is the dugout like during that at bat and then afterward
0: uh so i couldn't tell you what it was like in the dugout i was on first but i was nervous as shit over there just that whole series basically if you knew you didn't have if you didn't have more than a five-run lead on him it wasn't safe just because the place was a band box both all both lineups could run the that was back when like if you hit a home run you had power and both of us i think were leading the nation in home runs that year so we knew both teams could kind of run it out and Holt hit that triple, kind of cleared it, and I think we wanted, we added on, like, another run. So we went up, like, six to four, and I was still pacing. I was still freaking out. A couple other guys were still freaking Josh Laxter, the pitcher, was, like, like, you would have thought it was, like, a tied ball game, the way he was, like, staring out ahead, like, freaking out. Because that's almost more pressure. Now you don't want to yeah. blow a six-run lead. Like, you'd almost rather be, like, tied or one run. So everybody was still, I mean, that's probably the only time I ever thought about, like... All of Ole Miss's history and super regionals, and I was like, no, not this style. I was like, we got six runs, like we gotta, we can punch this one through. And then, luckily, we went one, two, three, and just got out of there, <laughs> got it done.
1: I forgot about you being on first because I actually asked Cliff for something one time, and he mentioned that. Were you, your wheels got disrespected time after time again? Were you worried All about scoring from first?
0: Never a doubt on that Astro. That nineteen nineties Astro trip was raining earlier. I knew if I just got halfway down third baseline and started sliding, I was gonna be there.
1: <laughs> and if it was close, I mean, I would take you against probably any catcher out there. You'd have probably just had to lay the lumber on the guy. That whole, that whole,
0: uh, that whole run, man. The big uh, laugh called us the convoy. It was me and Will basically the middle lineup guys, and the convoy came through that year. I mean, I hit a triple that Will scored from first for us to win a regional, and then I scored from first on a triple in the super regional. I was like, a lot of disrespect on the wheels every year from the convoy.
1: <laughs> you guys, you, you make it to Omaha. You the the scene out in the after the game that night in Lafayette, as you described earlier, had to be pretty surreal. What was that like for you? I know you guys celebrated about as hard as you can celebrate at a holiday, whatever the hell you're staying at in Lafayette, Louisiana. What was that night like for y'all?
0: Yeah, that was that was probably the closest I'll ever have the feeling of being like a A list celebrity in Oxford, like kind of like what a football player feels like. I mean. We are staying at some holiday inn, I don't know who, but someone ran some kind of credit card and we all were just kinda of having a good time and that uh it was a very long, horrible bus ride on the way back, but we got back and there's a couple thousand fans at Swayze and it just that was a fun couple of days and then we kinda of had to lock it back in and get serious and then flew back out there to Omaha. But yeah, that whole scene when we finally punch it through, I mean like I said the amount uh amount of pictures, signing stuff, like just people bring in like urns with like ashes in it like my father would like (laughs) we've been talking about Ole Miss going to Omaha and you're just like oh my gosh like the the level and severity of this program what it means to the people in the state it kind of really hit home and it showed you how much it meant to them and kind of gave you that much more of a a kick in the butt to kind of get going once we got out there.
1: It's always interesting, like when teams get to Omaha, like what like how they're viewed in terms of their chances to actually go win the whole thing and like for example, like this past year's team, that game that team was so insane in terms of the top like the highs and the lows, like I got to the point I remember being on a podcast, I was like, I guess they can win the whole thing, I really have no idea how the hell this is gonna go for you guys, I know you guys I, I thought you could win the whole thing, I know you guys did too, but was there a sense of just like I won't say just like a happy to be there, but like a celebration that you finally knocked down the door. Like I know you guys wanted to win the whole thing. You come up like what two games short or one game short of the title game or whatever, but like it, it didn't feel that sad when you guys finally got eliminated. And I know from a player's perspective, it's probably a little bit different, but just coming back from Omaha when you didn't win the thing, was it kind of unusually happy because you guys had had a good showing and kind of kicked down the door for the program? Cause that was a still a huge moment for the program. Yeah. despite y'all not bringing the trophy home.
0: Yeah, we definitely wanted to win it. I mean, we knew we could win it. We ran into a buzzsaw of a really good Virginia team that year that we, that beat us twice. I mean, what are we going to do? They had like, I think between that year and the next year, they had, like, five or six first-rounders on it. So it just, They won it the next
1: year, if I'm not mistaken. They, yeah, they won. They, yeah, they
0: beat Vandy the next year. So it was one of those things, like, is what it is. We wanted to win it, obviously. But, yeah, definitely we – there was always, like, whispers and, like, folklore, of, like, from older guys that would come back. Like, pro ball guys would come back in the fall and, like, hang out. Like, we'd see them out at the bar and stuff like that. They're just like, you want to be that first team to go to Omaha. That first team, you want to be that first team, like – He's you know, like, you go down in, like, history in Oxford, at Ole Miss, like, you want to be that first team. And when we finally punched in, like, after, like I said, when we came back, the uh, Swayze after Lafayette and saw all that, it just – yeah, it was still – we hadn't really gotten to go celebrate as hard as we wanted to, I guess, after punching that ticket. And we finally got to that night. We got punched, knocked out in Omaha, and we made up for it. Yeah, we had a very good time with the uh, Revel Nation and a couple bars. And, yeah, it was, it was not a – it wasn't a – very sad flight home we were still very happy we accomplished what we wanted to do we wanted to make it to Omaha We wanted to win a national championship but we uh yeah we were very we were happy with what we did for that year and that season
1: one of the things that we've talked about a lot on this podcast like the last couple weeks is like kind of turning the page and like how do you turn the page on a national title and in a you know in a slightly smaller sense you guys kind of dealt with the same thing from that 15 year I mean, 14 going to 15. It's like, I right, how do you kind of turn the page and kind of do this again? And this year's team's a little bit different because they bring you back a lot more. You guys lost a lot of that team, but you did come back. What was that next year like for you trying to kind of put that behind you and try to do it again? Because, like, I imagine – I know you knew a lot of the guys in the field around you, but you're kind of – I imagine opening day you looked around like, this looks a little bit different than last year. What was that like?
0: Yeah,
1: yeah I called it daycare my senior year. I was all guys. <laughs> it was, <laughs> was a lot that, of young like, kids. It really was. You were kind of the one older guy.
0: Yeah, and. Uh... I don't know. I thought the thing that threw me the biggest loop that took me a little while to get used to that fall was just it wasn't the same team. Like B kind of nailed it on the head after we he lost that last game of Virginia in Omaha. He was like, "This is the last time this team will ever be together." He was like, "These are some of your best friends," all that, and that really hit home that fall where I was just like, "Oh, these not everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Not everybody like we had so many new guys that that year." So they don't hitters don't know that they need to be there an hour and a half before practice. Like it needs to be said and established and made sure that that standard is being held to. And it, uh, it was just a little more hands-on. Everything didn't run as smoothly, but that's, it comes with it. I mean, every team's different and it kind of, you have your own flair and figure out what you need to do to get everybody going and figure out how to win ball games. And it's never easy at first, but you, we eventually we kind of figured it out my senior year too. And, won some games and played the hardest schedule ever. And somehow snuck into a, it was a two seed in a regional and we still, we had a good year, but yeah, it's uh coming off a year. Like the, the Rebs did this past year, when a national championship. It's definitely going to be different with losing the key players that they did pitching position player wise, but they have so much, they have such a good core coming back who that, that it, it is all in the same class too which is huge like between jacob uh, tj kemp alderman uh, harris all those guys are in the same class they're all buddies so having that core being having that group being your main core that's going to help those guys out a ton and kind of just keep the standard going i know they have a lot of new guys coming in between transfers and freshmen and all that and At this point, everybody, you don't want to be the bad team after a national championship. So I guarantee that's almost scaring these guys into more motivation than anything. So I'm willing to bet B will figure it out. The guys will figure it out and just keep it going. Just don't make it as hard as they did for most of the year like they did last year. It can be a lot more fun when you win ball games. You don't have to make
1: it tough. Amen to that. For you, it's one of the weird things in sports is like there's a very finite amount of teams and whatever sport it is, or really just players in general that get to go out on the peak and on that high. And you came back for that next year. And I know it didn't end the way you wanted it to. But like, was it easy to kind of make peace with your career? Because you were clearly a core part of a very seminal moment in that program's history. Granted, it happened the year before, but there was the build to it and all of that. Like, was it easy to leave Ole Miss and kind of think like, I, I left this place better than we found it from a baseball program standpoint?
0: Yeah, I mean my my dream my whole life growing up. I mean, obviously everybody wants to go be a major league baseball player and do all that. And obviously I wanted to go do that and pursue the next level when I got done playing. But from my original dream, my original memory of baseball was watching College World Series on like an old tube TV, watching Cal State Fullerton play, and I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to go to the College World Series and getting able to accomplish that as a player, getting to play and, and going a run that we did on the team that we did. And having just the, the four years I got to have it all Miss, I mean, that's when football kind of got it going, too. And basketball had a couple good runs. And I uh, I just, I mean, I obviously, I could have gotten drafted after my junior year, but I'm glad I was able to come back for my senior year and get to experience that. And I just – I wouldn't trade my four years at Ole Miss for anything in the world. Just the friends I got to meet, the connections, the memories, the – I could have gone without all the pounds I put on from just hanging out down there in the rib cage eating quesadillas and drinking Bud Lights. But, I mean, that's part of it. It's the learning curve. But, I yeah, I I love Oxford. I mean, half the reason I live here in Memphis is because of Oxford. I mean, it just – I – Hook, line, and sinker. I was proud of my career and I was ready to see what it's like being a fan in Oxford because everybody talks about how awesome it is. And still pretty sweet.
1: How awesome was it for you as an alum to watch them do that this year? Because that was one of the – that's the craziest season I've ever been around in really any sport where, you know, they're like, oh, my God, are they going to miss the SEC tournament? Like, if it felt over from the Bianco era, they sneak in, and then all of a sudden they go on this absurd rise. What was that like for you as an alum watching it and then finally actually watching them bring the trophy home and, like, reach the pinnacle of the sport?
0: Yeah, no, that – uh, <laughs> we used to always make, like, joke – like, inside joke between all of us saying how, like – uh we were like, we're the first and only team to go to Omaha. We can make all those jokes. And finally, the past couple of years, we're like, all right, like we want to go again. Like I want to go as a fan. I want to punch that ticket. And with this group, the group of guys that got to do it after having the horrible – that was the thing that I, once they got in the playoffs, I wanted them to win the whole thing. I mean, the amount of – I mean, I go to a bunch of games down there, sit up there in the Diamond Club, and just everybody's a coach up there. And everybody has something to say. Everybody – everybody likes to chirp, everybody thinks B's pushing the wrong buttons, doing that. And kind of that, that's, it was a weird. It was a mixed bag. Like I was very happy for the players. I mean, they got it done. They held through, they stuck it out and got it done. But I was so incredibly proud of coach B and laugh and Clem for those guys, what they were able to hold through, stick together, get those players to kind of believe and stick through the year and kind of that, I mean, that was B's best coaching job ever. And I could not be more proud of B being able to finally get his roses and all the critics and haters that always have something to say. Now they can just go kick rocks and he's good to go. I mean, you just, what that guy has done for the program, for that state, for that city. I mean, it's, he's basically built that program from the ground up. And now that he basically has a job for life, build the statue, all that other stuff. I mean, I couldn't be more excited for him.
1: It really is unbelievable. I mean, you really only have to look at the stadium from the time he got told miss to what it looks like now. It's like this guy literally did build this whole thing. And that was the whole thing throughout that year when it was going bad. I was like, this ending makes no sense. Like if this was like a Hollywood script, like they'd be thrown out immediately. They'd be like, what the what the what the hell is this shit? Like this this is how this ends. And then of course he finally gets what I would say is one of the more well-deserved national titles you'll ever find in sports. It's what was it like for you kind of watching it come back up in the rise? Cause like I mean, your guy, Austin Anderson, I would say was a little more vocal, just shoving dudes in lockers out here on these internet streets. But like, like in terms of just like watching as someone has been in that position before watching them go through that adversity and come back out of it. Like, was there a part of you that was like, I've been in this situation type before. Like I know what these guys are feeling. How hard is that to actually package that into a question when it's going shitty, how hard is it to actually pull yourself back up and make it go a lot better because it seems a lot harder than, you know, a lot of fans coaches in the diamond club, as you might say uh make it seem uh it's a it,
0: lot easier said than done it's one of those things like it you have to be there to recognize it when you see something like everything starts speeding up on a guy and you can see somebody putting a quarter in that merry-go-round and their world starts spinning out there on the field it's just it's one of those things that it, it kind of it's a weird combination of like everything between the fall the workouts conditioning practices where you just kind of try to slow everything down and just keep it simple and just do what you're supposed to and it's it's re it it's kind of just believing what you've been doing all year. Like if you try to come in and change some juju, like burn the bats, do whatever, like do whatever dumb rituals you can do to try to get everything right, that's not gonna work. It's just sticking to the plan, sticking to what got y'all there, and kind of just keep believing and don't give up. Because I mean, once it turns sour, it goes south quick, and guys can turn into guys can become cancer. There'd be some bad attitudes. It could just everything kind of fall off by the by the steams very quickly, and for those guys to be able to keep it together and stay believing and be just keeping them going. And it just, it was a great all around, like hats off to everybody involved, just kind of keeping that thing rolling. Cause like you said, when it gets ugly, it gets ugly quick and it snowballs on you and it's easy to kind of just let it go. And that never happened with those guys.
1: As we wrap up here, I have a couple I would call big J journalism questions. I actually don't do this full time anymore. I work in marketing for a private equity firm and kind of do this on the side, but I like to test my journalism skills every now and again. So these are some very serious questions. Hopefully we get some answers, but we're going to we're going to ask the hard questions as the fans like to say. Let's go. Um, as we wrap up here. So here we go. You never wore an undershirt uh, you always gave the vibe it was like <laughs> I have to wear a shirt to one of these things. In the day and age of dudes with the amount enough gear to add twenty pounds on them, what was your approach to just like I guess I have to wear this jersey, but I'm not doing the undershirt, I'm not doing any of this shit. What 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 went into that thought process? Uh that was just being a fat boy. Just sweat too much. <laughs> I was like,
0: I gotta have less amount of layer. And then I don't know, those those jerseys are comfortable, those old Nike ones we used to. So we used to always uh it started my freshman year, no undies Sundays and then Kind of just picked on where, like, me and Boz, we just – every every game throughout the whole year, we're like, no undershirts. We're kind of like how offensive linemen don't wear sleeves when it's cold. We're like, we don't wear undershirts. And then between that and then the whole mustache thing kicked off, it all kind of just piled in. And then from there on, I mean, there's a couple of cold games where I was like, dude, I want to give up this bit so bad and put on a big shirt. <laughs> 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 getting chafed nipples because it's so cold and their jerseys rubbing against you. You're like, dude, I'm an idiot for this.
1: You were also a button rebel. You know, you would go pretty far down on the button list. Did you ever get into yeah. hot water where it's like, hey, man, one more button, we, we have, might have to make this PG-13?
0: So Tanner Mathis was a standard for that my first two years. He would get down to, like, where you couldn't even see Ole Miss anymore, or just but Ole and Miss. There like was road a button road. it was just flapping everywhere. And uh, he uh, – so that was always a standard. But now I uh, – half the time when it started getting low, by the end of the year the buttons are getting a little weak hanging on there by a thread, so – take a big swing and pop off but usually uh b wouldn't let you show too much chest there he would try to uh, there's a couple games where you had to like, tape it or get like a safety pin or just make it through yeah he wouldn't let you just let all the
1: the, the chesticles hang out you got the nickname whiskey meat i think that was a red cup rebellion <laughs> blog thing if you ever had an extended period of your life where your diet was whiskey and meat was that is there any truth to those rumors or was that just a nickname you leaned into
0: no, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, um, <laughs> drink a drink a choice in college was whiskey and sprite, and uh, I've always been a, a heavy diet of red meat, and um, I think uh, it all that all kind of kicked off during when I that my junior. I did the mustache thing every year, but my junior year when I started having success, it kind of took on a little more. And someone compared me to Ron Swanson, and I was like, yeah, the oh. whiskey meat diet, and it just kind of clicked from there, and then turn into whiskey and meat, and you're out there eating on the square, and next thing you know, there's a lot of whiskey shots thrown your way, and if you're eating some red meat, there's always a yell. But my buddies always die, a guy they used to play with. They're still every now and then. We're in the Grove in the fall, I uh,
1: hear whiskey and meat, <laughs> and they're just like, dude, let that die. <laughs> a, that is great. If Sykes Orvis was playing for the Ole Miss Rebels in 2022 and they line up against Tennessee, how quickly would you have gotten into a physical altercation?
0: uh that whole – they were lucky they were good. I mean, I'll give them Yes, that. that's I mean, a great way just, to put it. Yeah, the, the way they acted, I mean, you better be damn good. And they were. I mean, they rolled in there. I went to that series this past year, and they just dog walked us, and they were talking shit the whole time. And I was like, this is tough to watch. <laughs> we can't do anything about it. But, yeah, no, uh, I I hate chirping in baseball. It's like getting big now with these younger guys. I think it's just kind of part of the game now, but I was never here for it. And the uh, one time uh, – One time I tripped too much. My senior year I got thrown out, so I kind of learned my lesson from there. So I got I got I got tossed once, and then that was probably good from there. So, but yeah, Tennessee would have been a good one to I guess come out of retirement for.
1: Yeah, and I'm all for, like, let's make baseball fun. Let's make this theatrical. But then you have, like, the head coach throwing a bat at another dugout chest-bumping umpires while they're simultaneously acting like they invented the sport. I'm like, this program didn't give a shit about baseball 18 months ago. Like, what the hell did you guys Uh, do? They had a writer write a column that they should thank them for what they did for college baseball. And I'm like, dude, college baseball is not invented when you won a regional title. Congrats on the regular season wins, man. But, like, you don't know how this shit works.
0: Oh, I got that here in Memphis. I mean, the, the amount of UT fans here, and all of a sudden they got UT Knox, they got UT baseball flags. And I was like, dude, y'all were a sweep every year when I played in college. Don't act like you guys are good or some, like, blue blood in baseball. Like, get out of here with that. Like, I'm happy y'all should be good. I'm happy y'all are good. But, yeah, don't – you guys didn't invent
1: the game. You mentioned getting thrown out. That was actually my, my – it's 2015, your senior, if I'm not mistaken. That was my actually my first year covering Ole Miss baseball full-time. I missed all the fun. You got thrown out for coming off first base, though. Well, give me the lead-up into that because they were like, he came off first base, we have to eject him. Were you ready to go crack skulls, or what actually happened there?
0: Yeah, see, that's what makes me so mad. So it's a little culmination of things. So that umpire that threw me out. The way it It's works Florida, maybe, right? If I remember right. It was, we were playing Florida. Yeah. So, I mean, I was a Florida guy. I had a bunch of family in there for that weekend. The way it works, your home plate umpire. The next game, you go to third base and you kind of rotate that way. So, Friday night game, the home plate umpire was god awful. He was just, he was getting jittery. The amount of fans was just quick on the trigger, had a bunch of rabbit ears. Like, if you said anything to him, he'd said something back, which is like the first sign of like an umpire doesn't know what he's doing. He's doing. Kind of, yeah. yeah, it's speeding up on him. And it was like a young guy. So that it was the Saturday we're playing a doubleheader. It was like the third inning, and I was on second base. Tate Blackman's on first. Errol's hit, and we do a double steal. Ball's hit behind me, so I get to third base. Tate thinks they're coming to second base, so slides into their shortstop. It like doesn't mean to do it; just a freshman, like wasn't trying to get anybody. And so I'm standing there at third with Clem, and I look over, and the shortstop is in Tate's face, and. I start yelling at him like, "What do you think you're doing?" Like, there's obviously some cuss words added in there, but I'm like, "What do you think you're doing? Get out of there! Like, get away from them!" And I like, I, I'm saying all that. I took a step off the base, so the umpire comes flying in, and he's like, "You can't talk like that. You're out of here!" And I was like, "Are you throwing me out for cussing?" He's like, "Yeah, you can't talk to another player like that." What? I was like, "You're jo-. I was like, "You're joking, right?" So when all this is going on, uh. Stully, the Florida coach, is, like, arguing about the play at second base. B's out there talking. So, no one saw this umpire threw me out. (laughs) So, I started trying, like, negotiating with the guy. I was like, dude, no one saw that. You don't have to throw me out. Like, Clem's trying to. He's like, yeah, you don't have to do this. Like, no, no, no. I was like, dude, if you throw me out, these fans are going to eat you. Don't you dare. Like, don't do it. Like, da-da-da-da-da. He goes over and starts talking to the the crew chief and all that. And, like, B's walking off the field at this point. I was like, maybe they don't throw me out. I'm going to be okay all of a sudden, the crew chief points at me. He's like, "You're out of here." B. He's like, "What the hell's going on?" I start freaking out. So I got thrown out for cussing. So that's what I was told. I was thrown out for. Which and is it's the, the same guy
1: for. who didn't know what he was doing the night before. Is that correct?
0: So, uh, same guy that doesn't know he's doing. But he threw me out for cussing. But at the same time, Florida's second baseman was coming over. Their center fielder was like on the back of the cut. That's how far he ran in. And I was like, "So you're going to throw me out for apparently a that cro- uh, I got suspended the next game for approaching an altercation, and I don't think people understand. I got thrown out in the third inning of the first game of a doubleheader, so I had to sit in our locker room for oh, eight Jesus.
1: hours. <laughs> what do you do? But, you can't go home, I don't guess.
0: No, I couldn't, couldn't go home. I had family in the stands. I was like, I can't do anything. Like uh, B was like, you can't – it was like, you can leave the stadium, but I was like, I mean, I'm not going to leave. So just sat in the locker room, stretched. I think I took a geology quiz, like chilling time. <laughs> We were like, we luckily we won that second game, won the series, but then we got the crap kicked out of us, that third game. And I remember just sitting there like, uh, this is tough. But, yeah that, was a, yeah, that was a weird exchange. I remember going out there. We won that, won the first game of the doubleheader, went in the series, and I ran out there on the field. I was all fired up. We just took a series from the number one team and high and everybody. And then I see B coming up, and I'm like, oh, shit, here it goes. And he, like, comes up, and he's just like, um, he's like, hey, listen, he's like, I get it. Tate told me what happened. I, he's like, I saw it. I always explained it. Clem told me. He was like, I'm not mad at you, but he's like, I'm going to destroy you inside this locker room in front of everybody. And I was like, all right, whatever. Oh, I loved it. Like, so he gave me the heads
1: up, kind of the wing wing. Oh,
0: dude, do. he even told me. He was like, he's like, you're going to be the first guy I've ever given, because you know how he gets a shirt out, basically the game ball, the game shirt. He's like, you're going to be the first guy I've ever given the shirt to that got thrown out. So I had two at bats that day. I went two for two with a three run home run and an RBI double. We won like five to two. And so he's like, I'm going to give you, he's like, I just never, he's like sitting there and he's like, um, just tears into me. Just like saying, how like the best play that shortstop made all weekend was doing that and get me thrown out. Da, 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 da. But he was like, but to your credit, he's like, you helped us win the ball game. Here's, here goes the shirt and everybody goes nuts. And I was like, oh my, God. that was a weird little like mixed box, like mixed pot of emotions. But um, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting experience. Yeah. My mom and dad got to see me get thrown out of a game.
1: Wait, so he tears into you and then brings it back up to the peak where he's like, actually, you're getting the shirt. So he just pulled a fast one to everyone in the moment. (laughs) That had to be pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I mean, pretty if we solve
1: life, what we do here on this podcast is solve life's greatest conspiracies. Uh-huh. Clearly, you can't be thrown out for cussing. I, look, I've never actually played no. in a D1 college athletic game, but I've sat close enough in a bunch of them that if if you get tossed for cussing, you probably just wouldn't have sports. That nerd probably had to find a technicality at the time because I remember in the press box, the way it was explained to us was he immediately left the base, and if you leave the base to kind of go – Instigate or whatever, you're thrown out. So that guy had to get that uh, clearly. He found a technicality. So you think you're thrown out for cussing when in reality, that door just threw the rule book at you, is what happened. I tell everybody that he told
0: me you can't talk to another player like that. He never said you can't approach an altercation. Oh my god! I, I'm t- like I'm saying I took a step off the base. Like he could have like gave yeah. Because I remember you getting it. tossed
1: before. It ever, nothing ever happened. You took like five nothing steps and you're out of the game before you even get in the guy's
0: face. To yeah, everybody. Everybody was like, "What did you get? Like, I didn't. Even, I didn't even really leave the base." So everybody was like, "What did you get thrown out for?" And Clem was like, "Help the guy get the fuck away from." Today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what, like, yeah, that's told B. And, like, it was, like, one of those things. Tate was a freshman. Long-served with Tate, too. Tate's from Orlando. Tate's the yeah. youngest of four brothers. I played with or against, like, all of his older brothers. Either, like, through, like, travel ball, high school, like, everything. So, I've known Tate since he was in, like, sixth grade. And, like, he just did a bonehead play, and these two guys got in his face. And I was like – and it was one of those, like – baseball is the biggest sport with fake muscles. And I was like, dude, get out, of, like, get out of his face. You're just trying to scare a freshman like that. It just it set me up a wall and I kind of got a little too hot and paid the price for it, but I got a cool story out of it. There's a cool picture of me getting thrown
1: out and Clem holding me back. So that's about all I got out of it. I hope you frame it. Last two things before I let you go. Uh, this is a perfect question for you because I think the answer, if I asked any one of your other teammates throughout the career, the answer might be you, but you can't answer yourself. Teammate, you at least want to fight. <laughs>
0: Uh, some of those Louisiana guys I played with, man. You don't mess with those Louisiana. Screw boys. loose. Down uh, there. Yeah, screw loose them, or I'll give you sleeper pick Matt Denny, J- Jackson so, J- fellow,
1: Jackson Academy alum. I actually, ran into you guys at dinner not too long ago when yes, yes, I was like, oh shit, I gotta have Sykes on the podcast.
0: <laughs> so Denny, so did he just savage. Dude, Denny's a brick shithouse, dude. He showed up as a freshman with that, like he's got that barrel keg. He's got like a six pack, but it's like a gut. It's the weirdest thing. Yeah. I and mean, now he's like he's all jacked now. But back then he was just a barrel keg. And he showed up, he was the strongest guy on the team. And we were roommates my senior year. I mean, as always, you get a little drunk from the square and you come back and you gotta wrestle for some stupid reason. And he used to ragdoll my ass. And I was like, dude, oh. don't ever, don't ever piss like and like to the point where like I'm trying and he's still getting me, and I was like, Geez, Denny's strong. Damn, yeah, Denny see, or any other –
1: yeah. Sykes Orvis, just confirming the theory, the MIS breed's the toughest breed of citizen there is out there. I'm thankful we got that in. The last thing I had to ask you about, because I'm weirdly fascinated by this, you go in, you you get uh, you leave the next year, you try your hand um, at, you know, minor league baseball – I think one of the craziest things ever is like people don't necessarily realize like how actually bad minor league baseball sucks. Did you ever moment where you're like, holy shit, this this shit sucks. Like I didn't oh, need to dude. do something else.
0: So my roommate, um, my roommate played in North Carolina, Landon Lasseter, a good buddy of mine. And so I'm coming from Ole Miss, he's coming from North Carolina. We get drafted and we get shipped straight to Phoenix. So you're doing all this like just infill stuff. They poster lineups of like where you're getting shipped to, and we're getting shipped to Montana. We're going to Montana for the summer, which is sweet. I was like, sweet. We're going out there. We had every our shortest bus ride was eight hours. We were just we were going shortest. We had a shortest. We had a bus ride from Grand Junction, Colorado, back to Montana. It was sixteen hours. I got drunk and hungover on the same bus ride. So it's like (laughs) a mix of that.
1: There's probably only one bathroom in that sucker. That could be a real problem.
0: Oh, and their short season lineups are extended. It's like a 35-man roster, so there's no single seat, so everybody's, like, doubled up. But you got, like, that, you're playing these, like, you go from playing them, like, Swayze, Duty Noble, the box, like, these, like, basically this, like, you got Major League stadiums, like, some AAA stadiums, and then, like, SEC stadiums. And now you're in short season Montana playing in, like, the Pioneer League, and you're taking showers, and, like, the water's standing up, like, past your ankles, and
1: your pre- your pregame
0: and postgame spread like you- that's what people understand. They ask me about the food. The pregame spread is either like cold like lunch meat and peanut butter and jellies, and like your postgame spread is usually like leftover concession stand food. It's like you it's do that awful. you memori- It's awful. You memorize where every like Applebee's or Buffalo Wild Wings are in every town because they're the only places that are open after games, and you go hammer half off apps and two dollar Long Island iced teas, and just kind of lick your wounds and just bounce from town to town. It's it's fun. It's one of those things like it was as shitty as everybody made it out to sound and you just you still want to throw your hat in it and go chase that dream. And you're still playing professional baseball. The the baseball part of it's fun, but everything around it, you're trying to be a professional athlete and you make like four hundred dollars every two weeks. And you're just like, how am I supposed to buy groceries or not eat off like the dollar menu? So all that makes it tough. But um, yeah, it was one of those things that just you go from. Flying and like, the university jets to, like, SEC games to, like, taking, like, just shitty bus rides, and you're just, it is, it's a significant, you don't get back to that level until you get
1: to the bigs. That's what people don't understand, how well we have it in the SEC. I remember one day I was an intern at the Curry and Ledger, and Danby Swanson was in double A. And my job was to go follow him around all day and write a story on him, which did not go that great because Danby Swanson looking at a kid that looks like he's 12 years old. I mean, you got a nice beard. I've been working on the same one since I got out of the womb, <laughs> trying to follow him around, but they win the game or whatever. And they're all, like, partying in the locker room. Like, is this guy ever going to come out and talk? And they're like, look, they brought real food in there. There's booze in there. I think they're going to hang out as long as possible because this is about as good as they've gotten in a while. I was like, oh, shit. Oh. This is not great. I mean, dude, oh, you- the guy, uh, Sean Johnson, I had him on the podcast in December because he's a long drive guy now. Dude, yes, yes. He had some game. absurd stories about indie ball. He was on two indie ball teams that folded midseason. He was like, well, I guess our season's oh. done. I mean, it's insane. Did you miss I'll your window was a long drive guy? Uh, I, I knew I knew Sean John was
0: long, so Sean, uh, that any ball league he played in, I played in that league too, and kind of helped connect some dots, like when I was on my way out playing ball and helped him get out there, but yeah, no, uh, I still follow Sean John on all the Instagram and all that, and he's just mashing balls like 430 yards, mm-hmm. he's living
1: my dream, It's I'm like, I have a weekend
0: warrior and golfer, and I watch him do that, and I'm like,
1: jeez, I want that it's a wild story how he got connected into that. He had some incredible indie ball stories. I, I mean, I, I got to notice last thing. If anyone thinks psych sort of his whiskey meets a facade, I think we got a, uh, a, a quarter zip with no undershirt. Your team, no undershirt for <laughs> life.
0: Oh, dude, I get, I run hot, man. I got to kind of I run hot. I'm a Florida boy. It's usually like flip-flops and the least amount of clothing I have on. Yeah. How you, uh, my mom gives me hell about it. I'm, I'm bad about letting my chest run down a little too much. I was sitting there. I was like, I probably should zip it up a little bit. But, hey, why not? I had a couple beers before this, so I'm, running,
1: I'm getting a little hot. It's an, it's an audio-only podcast, which is a goddamn <laughs> shame because it's just a beautiful sight to see. I'll let you get That's back right. to your beers, my man. This was so much fun. I really appreciate the time. Old Miss legend, Sykes Be well, my friend. We'll do this again sometime. Thank you, brother. It's always fun. And that was Sykes Orvis. Really, really appreciate his time and his willingness to uh, come on the pod and talk about his old Miss career. Great dude. As I keep saying, old Miss legend. Really enjoyed it. We'll be back for you with one more show this week, I think, if the guest lines up. But uh, a lot of stuff coming down the pipe. College baseball season coming around the corner. Some content with me and Colin uh, coming down the loop here soon. So uh, stay tuned. Thanks for listening to this podcast, always. I really appreciate it. We'll catch you again here soon.